Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today we will look at Acts chapter 6 together with Hans-Georg Koprich and the Operation Iceberg. With what problems was the fast-growing church confronted at the time? What solutions and structures did they come up with? And what example of wise leadership can we see? Why was setting priorities important to correct difficulties? We will see the importance of selecting helpers and how the people reacted. And how can these lessons help us to value time, see the importance of helping one another, and to focus on the essentials? Good morning all together. We are privileged to listen to the Word of God again, and also privileged, of course, in meeting each other. And uh, we all do need uh, encouragement We all need um, f focused again on what the Lord wants to um, say to us, speak to us. And it's our prayer that uh, we have open ears that can listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. And um, of course we are Oftentimes we are kind of knocked out by the dramatic developments that are around us, not only um, in specific countries, as mentioned already in Afghanistan, but also in our personal life. Uh, oftentimes there are things that really press us down And um, we are concerned with uh, our family. We're concerned about things that are happening all around us. And uh, oftentimes we just put our ears just too much to the negatives, to the things that make, you know, cause us to be depressed uh, rather than to rejoice. And uh, I rejoice in the fact that amidst difficulties, God, dear brothers and sisters, God indeed does his work. He picks out things that we can rejoice of, even in countries um, that where Christians are persecuted. Um, and it's so interesting to see that in countries uh, where Christians are persecuted, God is even moving even more mightyful to show those that persecute Christians that God is powerful to pick people out, to confront those that are enemies of the gospel. Jesus is alive. And that's where we need to be focused on Not on so many negatives, depressing, that keep us down. But we need to rejoice in what the Lord is doing. Now, I don't uh, shut my eyes to the things that are happening. We get all the massive information about the negatives that are all around It's not that I that I'm that I'm personally blind to it, but I would like to encourage you to get out of it, to focus afresh on what the Lord is able to do. Well, I'm 66 and um, almost 66. It's just a week before I get 66, and you know, uh, oftentimes uh, this is the age to get sarcastic, isn't it? You know, you may see many kind of old age people like me that are very sarcastic, you know, negative and everything you do, they look at it from a negative point of view. Um, and, uh, and I guess we need to get out of this always, whether we are 66, you know, that's the kind of Austrian age. We have Udo Jürgens that sang that uh, pretty famous uh, song, you know, st life starts when you are 66. So, well, I don't know how many years or days God is going to give me, uh, or God is giving you and me. We are a fellowship, but we rejoice. We are overjoyed 
deeply overjoyed by what the Lord can do. And let us fix our, our eyes. This is why it's kind of a training hour, you know, this morning, uh, you know, to fix our eyes and heart and mind to the Lord Jesus. He is almighty. He's powerful. And he can change every situation. Let's fix our eyes on that. Now, this morning, uh, we would like um, to go ahead with um, the book of Acts. It's a great book, and we talked about uh, last Sunday of how, uh, you know, the persecuted church didn't they didn't fix their eyes on the persecution but rather they started and and that's a secret really that that you start whenever you get negative that you start and lift yourself kind of out of this to fix our eyes on what the lord is able to do so they praised the lord so how did they do it they fixed their eyes on the fact of how God created world and heaven and everything there is in. They fixed their eyes on that. Where do you fix your eyes on? And of course, um, when we come to, to church, um, we see the situation in the church and, um, uh, but, uh, you know, there are so many churches that are vastly growing, but there are also churches that decline. And um, that could have well happened with the first church in Jerusalem. Well happened. We rejoice that it did not happen. So today we are talking about a difficult situation that may and will occur in any church. And we rejoice in the fact that even today, churches all over the world, they start afresh. Today, new churches are found all around the globe. We rejoice in that. In the course of the development of churches, some Churches rejoice, but some, some churches, and I am afraid to say so, not to start with a negative. <laughs> I hope you understand, you know, because I kind of struggled as I got ready for today, and I realized that some churches, and I don't think Christ Church belongs to this, but some churches, they are like icebergs. Now, wait a minute. Like icebergs? Sure. For one things, for one thing, icebergs are enormous. This certainly describes the first century Jerusalem church. An incredible church. Thousands upon thousands of people are gathering in that first century church in Jerusalem. At last count in Acts 4, 4, the membership had swelled to about 5,000, numbering only men. For another thing, icebergs just float along with the current. The early church too was in danger of floating aimlessly, allowing growth to knock it off course. Yet another characteristic of an iceberg is that they are carrying a lot of debris along with them. And whenever there is a revival, that's what we realized uh, when we were in Papua New Guinea, we experienced some kind of revival. Wow! What a lot of emptiness, debris, and dirty things came along with. It's incredible. Some people say, 
whenever God builds his church, Satan is building his little kingdom as well, just next to it. And that's exactly what is happening today. And we need to realize that, but the Lord is in control. Praise the Lord. To start with, we need to mention that there are risks of rapid growth. Operation Iceberg addressed the risk of rapid growth. We see in some of today's churches, we see decline, and but also growth. And please be aware, when you see decline, praise the Lord that there is massive growth. In the churches of God. Massive. We could tell many, many stories about it. But then our time will be short. And then people will look at their watch. And when is hands finishing? Uh, we need to get our schnitzel ready. Uh, and so when is it? But there are story after story of massive. Growth of the church of God. Let's look at a few of these challenges before we examine the solutions of the Jerusalem church. First, in a growth, in a growing church, there is constant busyness. Daily decisions and ever-pressing needs um, tend to cause the congregation to have an uncertainty of purpose. In the beginning, the ministry's grand, desi grand design may have been clear. They had a vision. This is why they went for it. And But the, as the church grows... Fewer people can recall that reason for all their activities. And some churches, and I find that very encouraging, they put the signs out on their stage. What is their vision? I would like to encourage you. Just a sentence to form a sentence of Grace Church. What is your vision? And to grab it, refresh it. Talk about it so that you may not lose sight of it. Did you get me? That's very important. To fix our eyes and not to lose sight of what we are here for in Grace Church. What is our purpose? Why is it that we are here? It's not just for meeting every Sunday and, uh, you know, it's good to meet and get some international input and, uh, you know, hear hands shouting. That's not the purpose. Never been the purpose. Another risk or challenge is fussy priorities. A wider ministry sparks additional demands. As a result, church leaders may begin throwing aside yesterday's priorities to put out today's fires. Soon, what should be most important places second for what is most urgent. Also, along with rapid growth comes another risk or danger is the tendency towards professionalism. Escalating ministry, sometimes hire staff or um, professional people to take over the work. The result, you know what the result is? We just have some couple of nice people who are sitting in their pew and, you know, put their hands down, listen, get sermon ready, get back home, come Sunday, come back, sit down. And 
we have a couple of spectators. It's nice to have them. And I'm not objecting um, against, um, excuse me, that's not a good word, a pew filler. Do you know what I mean by a pew filler? You know that the chairs here are filled up with people without purpose, pew filler. I'm not objecting against it, but that's not what the church is there for. Escalating ministries sometimes just have a professional. He's well paid. All the others, they put their wallet because he is a famous name guy. He comes from I don't know where. He studied at a, at a special university. And he presents himself every Sunday with a message and all the others pew fillers. Do you get me? Instead, the church staff should equip the membership to minister by cultivating their spiritual gifts. Um, that's what we try to do with um, a couple every Friday. We sit down. We have a meal. They come from Iran, so uh, sharing a meal is pretty important. For we sit down and share. How was your week? How are your relatives back in Iran? You know, how are you doing? You know, share yourself. And start it now. Please. Now mark a day where you are out. And I'm just waiting for, you know, I'm not kind of hopefully not shouting just at you, but I'm concerned that we are pew fillers, you know, and, and, and just sit down and, and listen and, and that's it. And criticize uh, those that are engaged in ministry and, you know, we talk behind their back and doing things crazy, crazy against us. Professionalism. We need them. Of course we need them. And it's great to have them, but that's not all we need in a church. And the final risk or danger is a loss of... Um, what I would call individual significance. It's a, it is easy to get lost in the crowd, to think no one cares about your problems. You know, the other week I talked to a doctor, an Austrian doctor, who just changed um, place and also, of course, church. And first of all, he was part of a little uh, church, but... Um, uh, they were just engaged in everything they could do. There was no free time even for this doctor, you know, was just in the church, which is, of course, important, but that's not all. So I said to them, you know, if you're in a small church and the small church wants to do all the church program that is possible, do children's work, youth work, I don't know what, women's work and all sorts of works, in the end, there is no way of getting out, you know, to communicate that gospel that is there for the people out in the street. So I said to them, you know, it would be so important to be part of um, a music club or, um, I don't know, a kind of, you know, where there is an open pipe outside, you know, the, the joy that, that goes and flows over to people that are not Christians yet. Where do you have, and, and please, I, I plead you, do you have an, something where you talk to people about what is most important in your life? Do you have an opening? Is there a place where you share what is most important to you? This is why we are here. There's no other purpose there. It's there. This is the purpose of the church to get the gospel out. Gossip it out, so to speak. <laughs> That's not a good word, I know. Gossip it out. That's... Uh, uh, very important. Who wants to make waves by asking questions or stating a need? The size of a, a congregation can be quite intimidating. As we shall see, it is this fourth risk, or we may want to call it a peril, that particularly endangered 
the early church to meet some members need the leaders had to change their organization. Now, how did the structure of the early church look like? Let's read the text. Um, it's not only out on the PowerPoint, but it would be great, you know, to have your own Bible present. And we read in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. But the believers multiplying rapidly, there were rumblings of discontent. Those who spoke only Greek complained that their widows were being discriminated against, that they were not being given as much food in the daily distribution as the widows who spoke Hebrew. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. We should spend our time preaching and administering a feeding program. They said, now, look around among yourselves, dear brothers, and select seven men, wise and full of the Holy Spirit, who are well thought of by everyone. And we will put them in charge of this business. Then... We can spend our time in what? In prayer and preaching and teaching. This sounded reasonable for the whole assembly and they elected the following Stephen. A man unusually full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminus. Nicholas and of Antioch, a Gentile converts to the Jewish faith who had become a Christian. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them in blessing. God's message was preached and in ever widening circles and the number of Disciples increased vastly in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. This is the word of God. There is different tasks in the first church. Um, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we can pick out three groups of people that made up the church's organizational struggle. And uh, maybe you can see the, the chart. There is a, a title. We have um, on one side disciples, and there is their role. What is the role uh, of their disciples? They are belong to the body of believers in Jerusalem. There were the twelve Man, the apostles, they were divinely appointed overseers, also called um, elders or pastors. And there were, uh, in that structure that was presented, there were deacons. Seven men, they were deacons, assistants to the elders in all sorts of delegated areas. We are familiar with uh, the, the expression of uh, disciples and congregations that are mentioned here several times in verse 1 and 2, in, in uh, verse 5 and 7. And with the 12, we read about in verse 7 and 6, but who were the seven mentioned in verse 3? What were their responsibilities? The appointment of seven men was uh, a response to a problem that threatened to break apart the early church. And this wise strategy employed by the apostles was the central component of what we could like to call Operation Iceberg. So it wasn't negative, you know. You may have thought of some kind of negative expression. It wasn't. It was an operation. They want to change things. 
They want, just did not want to just look at the iceberg, at the problem, but they want to change it. Um, thus, we can really see a great example of wise leadership. And um, as we read in Acts uh, 6, one now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Neglecting the Hellenistic widow, widows reflected a loss of individual significance in the rapidly growing church of Jerusalem and and there was this complaint. In Grace Church there are no complaints, I know. You're the exceptional rule, you know, the exception of the rule. No complaints at Grace Church. In Paris, no complaints. I don't know. Uh, in Germany, you know, no complaints. I don't in in uh, the Philippines, no, no, no. I mean, we can't uh, figure out. Uh, in Singapore, are there any complaints? Well, here in the first church, there were complaints. You know, it's kind of so refreshing. And the Bible doesn't turn you around, you know, and, and kind of uh, talks around complaints. As in many cultures, you can't pin down complaints because they put them ashamed. But here they are pinned down. They talk about it. It's very hard to talk about this complaints, neglecting the Hellenistic widows, um, reflected a loss of individual significance in this rapidly growing church. As we look into this complaint, uh, a few pertinent culture facts help us to better understand the problem there. In the synagogue, there was a routine custom. Two collectors went round the market and the private houses every Friday morning and made a collection for the needy, partly in money and, and partly in goods. Later in the day, this was all distributed. In addition to to this, a house-to-house -house collection was made daily for those in pressing needs. And we know all about it, uh, especially, you know, with all the dramatic developments in nature and so on. We start a collection and we have Hilfeti Ankommt with BEG that really is concerned about these things not only here in Austria, this is where it starts, but also in overseas project in Tanzania and many other countries, Hilfe die Ankommt. They are concerned. It's a Austrian organization that is concerned with not only spiritual need, but also and with um, needs, practical needs. And Hilfe die Ankommt, and I rejoice in this because many years we did not have that. We did not look out for it, but now it's acknowledged even by the president of, uh, of Austria. They, we, they invited people from Hilfe die Ankommt to, to meet him, Van der, uh, Mr. Van der Bellen. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it's recognized, you know, even the state, the government is, um, recog has recognized what, uh, Hilfe die Ankommen does. Now, uh, it is clear that the Christian church had taken over this kind of described uh, custom of collecting goods, but amidst the Jews themselves, uh, a gap uh, opened and a split became obvious. It became, you know, it's kind of a gradual thing, um, uh, an attention that arose. Um, in the Christian church, there were two kinds of Jews. There was the, where the Jerusalem and the Palestinian, the Palestinian Jews who spoke really Aramaic. There were also Jews from foreign countries who had come 
up for Pentecost and made the great discovery of Christ. They converted, they bowed their knees before the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. Many of these had been away from Palestine for uh, many generations. They really had forgotten their Hebrew uh, and spoke, they spoke only Greek. The natural consequence was that the spiritually superior and proud Aramaic, Aramaic speaking Jews looked down on the foreign Jews. You know, I make a joke out of it, sorry, and you may object. Um, I'm also, the Austrians would recognize I'm zu Kroster. A foreigner, you know. He doesn't know our language, our customs. Look at him. You know, what is your response to foreigners? After all, we are some kind of foreigner anyway, anywhere, aren't we? But what is the response? Well, in the first church, they had a similar kind of reaction, you know. They are second, you know. We are first because... As some of you may think, we have the right skin, you know. We're not red skin, black skin, or whatever skin. We have, the, and, and also, of course, the right dialect, you know. Because when we meet people, well, they tell, you are not from here. We, we listen to your dialect, and you're not from here. And that was the same kind of thing, you know. Can, can you identify this? It's easy to be identified with, isn't it? Um, and that happened exactly not only in our beautiful country of Austria, which I dearly like, and, and, and we're living here for uh, 1998 till now, and, and we rejoice in this beautiful country of Austria. It's so special to us. It's, it, it's our home now. And yet, you know, you may forgive us, you know, we speak uh, all strange dialect, you know, and, and um, people talk, you know, what did you say? Um, uh, and, and that happened exactly here as well. This contempt affected the daily distribution of the arms whether or not overlooking the non-Hebrew widows was intentional cultural prejudices fueled the turbulent kind of feelings um, among the Hellenistic Christians, we do not know. They may have, of course, you know, when such things happen, people get loud. They speak about it because they are hurt in heart. They may have cried, unfair. That's not fair. Favoritism, they get it and we don't get it. That, of course, cracks, zigzagged across the, the base of the church. And... This is what we can learn. What in the world did the apostles do? Their natural response might have been to distribute, you know, to really do the job themselves. Because, of course, God had enabled them to see things from the right perspective. Um, and with many churches, that is what's happening. We have a, you know, full-time guy at church, you know, and he knows what he's doing. Let's put it on, on his shoulders. In the end, you know, whether he has a burnout or not, we don't care about it. The main thing is doing it. You know, give him, you know, he's paid for. Well, it was different in the first church, certainly. They took a different approach, one that revealed their wisdom in leadership. There was a, um, a declaration of priorities. 
the apostles' first step was to state their priorities. What are the priorities? Our priorities. So they fixed it. They spoke about it. They didn't hide it away. We are special people. Don't ask what we are doing. No, they were talking about it. Acts two, um, Acts six, uh, two and four says, and the twelve summoned the congregation. We had said that last time, didn't we? They went, came out of prison. What did they do first? They were standing in front of the congregation. You know, they showed their, they had, they got whips and, and, uh, had, <clears throat> maybe their face and nose was still bloody. But that was their first go. They went to church. And you know, it bra- you know, it breaks my heart. They made themselves vulnerable. They did not hide it. They showed it and they went where they needed to go. To the church. Vulnerable. That's what we said last time. You can listen still. It's not hidden away, I guess, uh, Philip, is it? No? Well, you can listen to it and it's... Um, you know, in our series uh, through uh, Acts, that's uh, pretty important to make yourself vulnerable. Not to hide it away, you know, I'm a strong kind of guy, you know, my thinking is bright. No, that's not what the apostles did. The Greek word um, for desirable that is used here and the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of word. And the Greek word for desirable means fit or it means pleasing. It was not pleasing to the Lord for the apostle to distribute the food. Even it was necessary. They recognized that need. Their priorities were prayers and preaching. That's where they saw their priorities. Preaching the word of God and and, 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 and becoming too involved in personally meeting the needs of these widows would cause them to compromise their calling. For any growing ministry to have continued impact, the leaders must be devoted to these same two priorities. What is the first one? Well, you, well, your mouth is kind of shut, but what is the first one? Prayer. Prayer. Yes, prayer. That's the first priority of a leader of a church. Well, there are, well, a friend of mine, he said, not all are called to pray 24-7. Not all. Even though he may see the need of praying 24-7. That's no doubt. But there is another one, preaching, preaching the word. That's the second one, the second priority. And um, when this happens, spiritual traps snap and the ministry drifts along with the prevailing current. If a leader does not do that. You know, he's entangled with all sorts of things that are necessary. We do not push that aside. Please recognize that. But it's not a priority. So even these needs must be met. But how? How was that made? There was a correction of difficulty as the apostles looked on the vast congregation. They announced their plan and we read in Acts 6.3, select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. The 
apostles delegated the responsibilities to others so they could continue their own duties. And notice three components of their delegation. First, the seven men were to be selected. Did, did the apostles do that? No, this is a special guy, you know. He speaks my language, so let's pull him in, you know. No, it was among the congregation. They um, selected. The apostles used the Greek word that means to inspect or uh, examine. They did not want just the first seven volunteers to show up. You know, oftentimes, and, and that's a grave um, danger, you know. It's not those that are qualified that turn up. Do, do you realize that? Oftentimes it's, you know, some God speaks to people that, that have a soft heart and, and, and they go for it. But those that are qualified, they mostly sit down and know how well it's her, you know, and lots of kind of excuses come out. And, and this is why there is so much criticism to those that are not qualified and yet they are soft in their heart and they go for it. Can you see that? It's happening. So often. Um, the unqualified, soft in heart, they go for it, but not here. Instead, they instructed the congregation to thoughtfully evaluate the men of the um, church, of the assembly, and then choose seven. Second, they were to be qualified. They were to be reputable, spirit-filled, and wise. Last, they were to take leadership to supervise the work skillfully. That there was um, the basis or... Uh, that was the basis to select these helpers. And we read in Acts 6, uh, 5 and 6, and the statement found approval with a whole congregation. And they chose Stephen and so on. They all had names. And I, I'm, I'm rejoicing. And I can't, uh, you know, it's hard to you know, pronounce them with my kind of mouth. But they had names. They were known in the congregation. They were not just kind of no um, man people, but they were known. They did a great job in that congregation. This is why they were chosen. They had names. Can you? Can do you get me? They had a name in the congregation. They were not no names. This is why the Bible gives us their names. Um, it's hard to pronounce them because they have all sorts of names, but their names are here. Exhibiting remarkable unity, the congregation applauded the plan and chose the men. Interestingly enough, all seven men had Greek names, which probably ensured a fair distribution of food for the Hellenistic widows. The selection process itself is a mystery. We, we, we do not know, uh, but two results are certain. The apostles' twofold ministry of prayer and the word continued unhindered and the problem of favoritism that was spelled out, that was talked about, was solved. Satisfyingly solved. Now, what was the reaction of the the people, the apostles, expert leadership mended the cracks and that had begun to form in the church. And an, ice, an iceberg on the brink of disintegrating was restored and grew even larger. Wow. This is what happened. Acts 6, 7 says, And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And even those that were not expected to join the congregation, okay, man, 
It's, you know, I rejoice in, in this. You know, this is what God does with his people. You know who the people that came in? It says, and the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, what the Lord, the word of God can do, you know, the people are pulled in whether they like it or friends or not, you know, they're just pulled in and the stream follows the desires of the Lord. So here we are, you know, I, I'm, I'm favoring a principle of, of, of timeless values. I, I favor them. What could have happened if the apostles had no judicially guided the church through the dangerous and risky corridor? The Greek Christians could have split off from the Hebrews and the story would have been a great one and the devil would have been rejoicing about it. But that was not heavy, uh, happening. In fact, the movement could have been weakened Furthermore, the spreading flame could have extinguished, but it was through God's grace. The opposite occurred. The flame burned even brighter. Now, from this experience, we can learn some very valuable lessons. And um, I really would like to uh, ask you uh, not only to listen, but... Also, you know, start thinking, you know, what can I, where can I put some changes in what I do to get out of, you know, uh, just being in the sitting in the pew and, and, and getting engaged and, and, you know, to, to get the, the, the message out. Um, there are difficulties, but there are also ways to solve them. Uh, now, from this experience, we can, as I said, valuable lessons. And the first lessons, lesson we can learn, strong leadership. And you've heard it right. Strong leadership does not guarantee an absence of problems. We think, you know, we need a strong leader, an outspoken, bright, theological, clear. That's telling yourself a lie. Problems will rise. Whether he's bright or not, theologically okay, well, the problem will come. Strong leadership does not guarantee an absence of problems. Imagine even with the 12 highly gifted apostles in the lead, the church still endured difficulties. You know, the apostles having seen Jesus, even with them present, they met these difficulties. At Grace Church... In fact, in any other church uh, that you may present um, out in the cyberspace as a listener out there, we should not be surprised when frictions and fractions cause problems. Rapid growth does not excuse unmet Needs. Busy leaders may be tempted to dismiss certain complaints as needless, unnecessary, or even useless. But with wisdom, they can strategize a solution to meet the needs without losing sight of their priorities of prayer and preaching. And there needs to be a concerned involvement. And this concerned involvement does not require losing priorities. Through delegation, pastors and leaders do not have to be overwhelmed by the hundreds of needs that come their way. They can guard their time for prayer and for the ministry of the word. And a large church does not mean an ineffective Ministry through strategic planning, even large ministries can have a personal touch so that the word of God can keep on spreading. And then I'd like to finish with some essentials for every church worldwide, every place. As your church may also grow in due course, there are some essentials that will keep it 
on course and protected from risk or danger uh, as it grows. There's an understanding um, the purpose of your church is the first essential. This is why so many churches we visit, they put their, it's just a sentence or so. I would, um, you know, you get engaged, David, uh, and others that are here, write a sentence and put it out, you know, uh, Philip, put it out on the screen, you know, every Sunday when people come in, put the sentence out, this is our purpose, this is why we are here, this is why we call ourselves Grace Church. Just to say, not a, you know, I'm not talking about five or ten sentences, just a brief, clear sentence, this is why we are here. I'm very much in favor of this because I've seen that happening in many churches and they kept their purpose um, in that. God established the church to equip Christians to minister to others. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets and evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built. We accomplish this through several objectives. Um, and I found that uh, kind of, uh, it opened my eyes. I looked at uh, the objectives. We call it wife. Wife. Have you ever heard of wife? Well, I have a wife. And some of you, they have a an husband and they are wives. But here is worship. Worship, W. Instruction. I, wife. There is fellowship. And there is Expression. You see? Wife. W-I-F-E. Wife. So it's, um, it's easy to be remembered. Expression, of course, involves mission. We've talked about it last time. Evangelism and discipleship training. The expression of your faith. If there is no expression of your faith, it's dead. You're just here good to be here, but if there is nothing going out, expressing, even, you know, we know our failures, of course we know, but yet we express ourselves, it's like little children that can't express themselves, and yet they are bubbling out, you know, they can't stop it, they just give things they have. The way we carry out these objectives is the second essential and involves our style of ministry, teaching that is biblical and not kind of philosophical, you know, where you need to find the meaning of it. No, biblical activities that emphasize spiritual gifts, not a, a kind of a kind of a religious program, an attitude that is open and and balanced, not exclusive. Um, and, and kind of extreme, you know, forcing people to do something. No. Founded on these essential, the early church spiritually transformed their city. Their pri principles are still operating until today and can vitalize any church with the same irresistible appeal that's appealing to to people nevertheless there are there were grave dangers that the first church encountered um, and they need to be recognized they were through hypocrisy and we see that as we look into acts you know there was hypocrisy from within we saw Ananias and Sapphira. I can read the story. It's incredible, you know, the kind of disturbance that came into the church. Uh, there was incredible where we saw that happening persecution. The Jewish leaders tried to crush the first church that came from we, without. And lastly, there was a lot of distraction. And that's the same today. We're distracted by so many things around us. Um, you know, the devil distracts and he will attack um, the, the, the most important people 
Um, and having failed to overcome the church by either persecution and corruption, uh, he tries it through distraction. If he could preoccupy the apostles with the social administration, with though essential, was not their calling. They would neglect their God-given responsibility to pray and to teach, to preach, and so, and so leave the church without any spiritual defense. How does Satan distract you? I want to finish spelling it out. Does he distract you from worshiping the Lord? Does he distract you from learning God's word? Does he distract you from genuine fellowship? From expressing your faith to others? You know, we look, we see the pictures, the widow dressed a tatter's widow's gown. The apostle distraction was particularly deceptive. They saw you know, it's not that the widows were hidden away. No, they saw them. What kind of cold-hearted person could turn down the defensiveness of a widow's cry for help? Now, how can we go against it? Well, you need to know our priorities. We need to rely on the Spirit for discernment. And finally, it is all right to say no to good thing in order to say yes to God's best. That's important. If you are distracted, we, you need to really go through the books and tell yourself, this is what God has called me for, and that's exactly what I am doing, even though there are more pressing needs, but there may be others that can go about do you know also your limits? You know, I've said right in the beginning, you know, so many of my fellow colleagues all around the, wor the world are um, in, uh, uh, in, in, in a depressive mood. They are no longer able to express their faith because they are exhausted. They are not able to to do God's work as they should. So do you know your limits? How can you tell when you have exceeded them? Do you need time for what is to reevaluate your involvement in order to have really importance in your church? If so, what needs changing? You know, this is what I want to ask you when you are back, what is needed at Grace Church? Where do I need to be involved? Where do I need a new perspective? And then get engaged. Do it. And I know the Lord is blessing this ministry abundantly. As you follow His Word, as you listen to what the Spirit tells you. And that happened here um, in Acts chapter 6 with uh, the Operation Iceberg. Uh, the apostles recognized it and they did something about it. It became very practical. The Lord bless you and keep you on that very track. Amen. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in that story, in the word of God you've given us this morning. Thank you for... They also were aware of their priorities to pray and to preach. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there was a congregation that picked up all the other priorities of any kind of church 
to follow in your footsteps. You've been a servant. Help us too to serve, to expound, to be thrilled again by what you did in our lives. You changed our lives. You forgave us. You gave a perspective in our lives. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that it's enough for every people, for every nation, for every time, for every second. It's enough for everybody. So we praise you, Lord Jesus, for the word of God that expresses things that are of importance and acknowledge us even in our limits. We thank you this morning for your voice, the voice of a good shepherd. Thank you so much that we can entrust our lives afresh into your good hands and follow the good shepherd and his lead. We praise you and we worship you for your goodness and kindness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Hans Georg, for diving with us into this passage and for looking at what